Welcome to the Hope on the Way podcast with Father John Ahmed. John is the bishop of the Interdenominational Order of Missioners of the Holy Spirit, and he's the founder of Hope on the Way Ministries. Now, join Father John and discover hope and relevant answers in following Jesus, who is the way, the truth, and the life. This is a reading from the book of Acts, chapter 2, verses 13 and 14, and 36 through 41. Starting in verse 13, this is the second part of chapter 2. The first part deals with the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. Made quite a commotion. People wanted to know what's going on. So in verse 13, it says, Some of them, however, made fun of them, meaning the disciples, the apostles, and said, They've had too much wine. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, and he raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews, and to all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words, He warned them. He pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted His message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Today's message is entitled, The Counterintuitive Gospel. It seems like more and more as the world gets turned upside down in the cultural revolutions that we've been experiencing in the last 20-30 years, the more I use this word, counterintuitive. It's become one of my favorite words. And I think at this point in the game that the Gospel, even to many Christians, is counterintuitive. What does this word mean? Counterintuitive. Contrary to intuition. Contrary to common sense expectation, but nevertheless true. Cambridge Dictionary says that something is counterintuitive when happens, something happens in a way we don't expect it. Now, if you think about the crucifixion of Jesus, the horrible sufferings He endured, the arrest, the beatings, the flogging, the flailing, the crucifixion itself, the betrayal of the Messiah by people who should have known better. You would think that the intuitive thing to do, the smart thing to do, would 
have been to lay low. The apostles could have easily thought, hey, we need to lay low. Things have gotten a little bit elevated, to say the least. We're going to kind of hide out. We're going to not make waves. We're going to let things settle down. Let the dust settle. And for goodness sakes, whatever we do, don't, don't make a public display and don't call out the public leaders. Don't call out the politicians. And we're just going to use quiet persuasion. Just use quiet persuasion. And maybe that's kind of what was in their heads because the night that Jesus rose from the dead, they were hiding behind locked doors. But not for long. In Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit is poured out from heaven and comes as flaming tongues of fire upon the disciples gathered in that upper room. And a large crowd gathers and Peter, instead of being a quiet, mild-mannered fisherman, becomes a roaring lion and preaches a bold, convictional message that calls them to repent and convert to faith in Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus the Messiah. In verse 14, Peter raises his voice and says, listen. This word listen is a command. Who does Peter think he is? They go like, oh, these people are just drunk. Peter says, uh, no, you listen up. Raises his voice. Think about how loud he had to speak for a crowd of 3,000. It must have been fairly loud. In verse 36, he tells them that they need to be assured. Another way this phrase could be translated is know for certain. You need to know something for certain. You need to listen up. Verse 40, he warns and pleads with them to save themselves from the corrupt generation that they live in. He says to them that this is a corrupt generation. So much for seeker-sensitive messaging, huh? They had just crucified Jesus. But as Peter preaches with urgency, he also preaches with compassion and love because he pleads with them, you need to save yourself. You need to save yourself. Folks, if, if they would crucify the Savior of the world, what else were they capable of doing? Think about that. So with love and with urgency and with compassion, Peter pleads with them. And he also gives them an explanation of their sin and the forgiveness they need. He doesn't say, you know, like, it was probably a bad idea to crucify Jesus. It probably, in hindsight, in 2020, maybe not the best thing to do. Peter looks at them and says, you all crucified the Messiah. And again, he says, you're a corrupt generation in that you need to repent and be converted. He calls them to be baptized. It's not a seeker-sensitive message. What was it then? 
What was it that got their attention? I think it was something that was very counterintuitive to much of the church today. You know, the thing that didn't get their attention wasn't a great worship band with house lighting effects. Now, if they would have had that in those days, maybe that would have been a good thing. But they didn't have a great worship band. They didn't have great house lighting, a great audio system. You know, the, another thing they didn't have, they didn't have felt need ministry. They didn't get together and say, you know what, there's a lot of poor people in Jerusalem. Let's just pool our money and buy some sacrificial animals for these folks who can't afford to buy sacrificial lambs for the temple. It will be a, a ministry of justice. Helping out the poor. Would have been a good thing, but that wasn't... No, they didn't do that. Peter's message, I mean, honestly, can you call it inspirational preaching? Read the message for yourself, the whole thing, and think to yourself, is this message inspirational? Like they, they listen to Peter's message and go, oh, that was inspiring. Man, Peter had so many applications, so many life hacks. Know what they got that day. What grabbed their attention was three things. One was bold proclamation with attesting signs and wonders. And one of those signs was the sign of the sacraments. The first sign was baptism. It was a sign to them. Oh my goodness, we're not converted? We need to be baptized and come into the Messiah's fold. The other was the sign of the Eucharist. And you can read that in Acts 2.46 where it says that, that after the 3,000 come to faith that they gathered in homes and they broke bread together. And most Bible commentators believe that breaking of bread included what we would call the Lord's Supper, Communion, the Eucharist. Again, we read today in the Gospel reading that Jesus was revealed to them in the breaking of bread. Communion and baptism are signs of the new covenant. Look in Scripture. Every covenant has a sign. The sign of the new covenant we're under is the Eucharist, communion, the Lord's Supper, and baptism. Holy baptism. Powerful signs. Another sign was the sign of Spirit-filled love. Spirit-filled love. Really popular movie with some of you today is the movie Dune. And Dune is basically a movie that could be characterized as blood feud. Blood feud. And the author of Dune got his inspiration from Middle East culture. Doesn't matter, Muslim, Christian. It has historically been a culture of blood feud. You spill my family's blood, I'm going to spill your blood. You ruin our reputation as a family, we have the right to take retribution on you. But, but Peter and the apostles in the church stand before the people of Israel and say, we love you, we forgive you, and God forgives you. That's a powerful sign. The sign of love and forgiveness. And then the third sign that day that accompanied the bold proclamation was the outpouring of the Holy Spirit that was signified 
by what was perceived as drunkenness in Acts 2.13. Some made fun of them and said, ah, they're drunk. (laughs) Nine in the morning, they're drunk. You know, I'm honestly, seriously taught about teaching a seminar, a two-part seminar. Number one, how to be drunk in the Holy Spirit. And number two, how to stay drunk with the Holy Spirit. (laughs) I'm serious, I've thought about it. In the late 1800s, a former shoe salesman who had no high school diploma and barely an education was in New York City on a journey that would lead him to Cambridge University where he was to do a revival meeting to the students at Cambridge University. At that time, it was an all-male university. His name was D.L. Moody. As Moody was walking down Wall Street, the Holy Spirit came upon him and he was filled with the Holy Spirit and became intoxicated in the presence of the Holy Spirit, so much so that Moody had to rent a room. And by written account, Moody said that he at sometimes felt that the, the power of God was filling him to such a degree he thought he might die and pleaded with God. Oh, that's too much, God. That's too much. And this is something that Moody and others who were his prayer intercessors had been praying for. There was no Pentecostal movement then. It preceded that. But they were praying for the baptism with the Holy Spirit. Him and some free Methodist women. And so, shortly thereafter, when Moody was intoxicated, when he was drunk with the Holy Spirit, he began his revival ministry at the most elite, snobbish, aristocratic university in England, Cambridge. Its twin would be Oxford. And the first two nights were disasters. The young men, many sons of aristocrats, many of them exceptionally educated, saw this former shoe salesman. They could tell he was not well educated, and they just mocked him. They just mocked him, booed him, harassed him. But on the next night, On the next night, the Holy Spirit came in power and fire from the Holy Spirit fell upon Cambridge University and they stopped mocking him and they got on their knees and repented under the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Like Peter, Moody preached a message of simple repentance through the blood of Jesus for the forgiveness of sins and warned them that they were in a corrupt generation and needed salvation. And out of this movement that Moody and others began became something that happened right before World War I, the student missions movement. A movie was made about part of this. It's called Chariots of Fire. You can look into that. But there were especially seven from Cambridge who who became prominent 
from Moody's ministry called the Cambridge Seven. They were known as the dream team of missions. They were rich kids. They were the sons of important aristocrats. And those guys gave up everything to go to China for missions. And by the way, I have a friend who says, if there's a language spoken in heaven, when we get to heaven, it will be Mandarin because it will be populated mostly by Chinese. That's how great the revival that was begun in China through the faithful work of these student missionaries. One of these aristocratic missionaries said this, only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. This one wrecks me. This one wrecks me. He also said, some want to live. Think about it in contemporary church life. Some want to live within the sound of church or chapel bell, but I want to run a rescue shop within the yard of hell. Rich kid. Son of an aristocrat. Converted to faith in Jesus Christ by a drunken shoe salesman. Filled with the Holy Spirit. You know what's counterintuitive? You know what's really counterintuitive? <laughs> that an uneducated, drunken, the spirit shoe salesman would convert a bunch of a rich aristocratic kids and spark one of the greatest mission movements the evangelical church has ever seen. That's counterintuitive. <laughs> you think you'd have maybe a PhD lead that revival, not a shoe salesman with a sixth grade education. You know what's counterintuitive? Is a fisherman drunk with the Spirit leading 3,000 religious Orthodox Jewish people to faith in Yeshua in one sermon. Can I ask you a question to those who are listening to me? Can I ask you a question? Especially those of you who are on the revival bandwagon. Because there is a revival bandwagon. Don't get me wrong. I like it. I like it, but it's pretty bandwagony. Those of you who are on the revival bandwagon, why aren't you drunk with the Holy Spirit? Come on, you say you want revival. You say, oh God, we want revival. Well, why aren't you drunk with the Holy Spirit? Can I tell you why? And I hope this little story doesn't seem like bitter tears to you, because it's not. And I'm using it as an example for especially those of you under the age of 30 who listen to me, and I know there's some of you under that age, a lot of you who do. Some time ago, we were at a revival prayer meeting, praying for revival, and this hadn't happened to me in a long time, but I became intoxicated with the Holy Spirit. Folks, I was drunk with the Holy Spirit. The love of God, the new wine of the Spirit was just so, and filling inside of me. And when that happens to me, I, I consider it something sacred and holy. And then I say, you know, don't, don't act foolish. Don't 
cheapen what's going on by the Lord doing this and try to cheapen it by acting foolish. But I was having a little trouble talking, slurring my words. I was having a lot of trouble walking and coordination. And there was a young lady there in her 20s. She was a PK. Pastor's kid. Christian college where she attended. And she began to mock me. But mildly mock me. And I didn't lash out at her. Too much of the joy of the new wine of the Lord (laughs) bubbling inside of me. But it was disappointing. The next thing I know, young lady who had a very rough background came to me for prayer and said, will you pray for me, Father John? And she had, a, she had an illness that, folks, they didn't even have a name for it. They had no diagnosis. She had been to specialists. They had no idea what was going on. Very fragile young lady. And I never would have done this. I never would have done this unless I was drunk with the Spirit. Especially with this young lady. In a loud voice, I cried out under the unction of the Holy Spirit, come out of her in the name of Jesus. And she began to manifest an evil spirit. Any wonder there's no revival? Because you're too busy virtue signaling to be drunk with the Holy Spirit. Do you hear me, youngsters? You who are on the revival bandwagon, many of you are just too cool. Too busy with the world. You're drunk with virtue signaling and unwilling to be drunk with the Holy Spirit. To have the courage of Peter to speak out about this corrupt and evil generation and plead with people through the blood of Christ to come to faith in Yeshua, to be baptized and to turn 180 degrees from their sins. You really want revival? Are you really want revival? Are you really want revival? Then be willing to get drunk with the Spirit. The history of revival is filled with stories of drunk with the Spirit weirdos. From the Apostle Peter to St. Francis of Assisi to Lonnie Frisbee, which everybody's celebrating in the Jesus Revolution film. They were drunk with the spirit weirdos in the eyes of the world, but they turned the world upside down. How about this? How about this suggestion? It's time, O Lord, to raise up a new generation of counterintuitive, drunk with the Holy Spirit, followers of Jesus to help save this generation of broken, lost little ones from this sick and corrupt generation. How many of you are willing, like D.L. Moody, to pray for the baptism with the Holy Spirit? do, God will give you the guts to go to some place like Cambridge and turn the world upside down. Amen. You've been listening to the Hope on the Way podcast with Father John Ahmed. We invite you to subscribe or follow this podcast on your preferred podcasting platform. To find out more about Hope on the Way Ministries and Father John, 
check out our website at hopeontheway.info. That's hopeontheway.info. Now, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of the Father, and the companionship of the Holy Spirit be with you always. Amen. Amen.